Hey everyone, and welcome to the Capitalize for Kids podcast, where we interview Canadian leaders in business and philanthropy. This week on the show, we speak with renowned Canadian athlete and philanthropist Silken Lauman. Just 10 weeks before the 1992 Olympic Games, Silken, the reigning world champion in single skulls rowing, suffered a brutal accident that left her right leg shattered and useless. But she overcame that injury, ended up winning a bronze medal for Canada, and we spoke to her about overcoming that horrific injury, but also the less apparent mental health issues she was facing. We get pretty deep with Silken over this episode, and I was a little bit worried at first uh, because this was the first time that we did an episode and an interview uh, over the phone, but it ended up turning out great. We loved it, we loved her, uh, and we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did. Obviously, you've had an illustrious career, to say the least, uh, from from an athletic standpoint. And when did you start, you know, getting into athletics? Uh, at what age? And, and was that, you know, who was who was the driver behind that? I think I grew up in a family where we were just active, and of course, you never know how really you compare to other families when you're young. But now, uh, as an adult, I realize, yeah, we were pretty extraordinarily active in that, like. We would go running with my dad. We would play soccer. We walked everywhere. Uh, Activity was just part of our daily life. And so my my first sport that I really, really got into was track and field. Uh, I was an 800-meter runner um, in my um, early high school years, and I was just, I dreamed about, you know, going to the Olympics in in running. Um, But I was kind of fighting my body (laughs) harder to be a runner because runners are usually, I mean, 800 meter runners, about 125 pounds. And, and I, I was already 5'10 in, in grade nine. And um, I was, the minute I lifted a weight, I was going to be more than 125 pounds. So um, I did in Mississauga, there's a, a, a lovely rowing club called the Don Rowing Club. My older sister was already uh, a rower and uh, her and, and, and my coach, Fred Luke, um, were always kind of convinced to me, you know, you got to try this sport. And then eventually, one day I did. Awesome. And, and, and so Fred Luke, was that your first coach? Fred Luke was my first um, rowing coach. And uh, sadly, he passed away three years ago. He's a huge, huge influence in my life. Um, you know, he's probably the one of the, the first people to, you know, really care about me outside that family unit and um, was so committed to the athletes that he coached Uh, and he was fun and you know really taught me cross-country skiing taught me you know good running taught me rowing um, lifting I mean there's so many things that I do today that when I do them I think oh I just remember Fred Mm. well first off I'm, I'm sorry for your loss I know how how tough it is to to lose somebody who's close to you especially someone who's had such an impact, uh, what seems to be such an impact on, on your life. Did you and Fred stay in touch, you know, following you know, years after the you, you, you were done uh, training with him or did he stay on board after yeah. high school? Yeah, he, you know, I associate Fred with my trips to Mississauga. You know, when I would come back home, I would often go see Fred and, you know, once in a while we'd get out um, for a road together. And I think, you know, myself and some of the other athletes that came through through his coaching program, stay connected to his family to this day. At what what point did you realize that you were like, oh, I'm I'm pretty good at this rowing thing? Um, you know, I had had my, as I said earlier, my first passion was track and field, and so I gained a lot of fitness in those, you know, late teen years. 
Uh, and so when I started rowing, I actually was good at it right away. Um, it, you know, I had the fitness, I had the strength, I had the determination. I did not have the rowing technique, <laughs> but I pretty quickly out of the gates um, did extremely well. And uh, in, in fact, I went and represented Canada the, the first year that I rowed. The first year that you rowed, you represented our nation in rowing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, so is it safe to say that you were a natural? I think I was a natural. Yeah. I think I was natural. And I think the fact that I had done so much athletic, I had such a strong athletic foundation, um, certainly was a huge asset. And, and what pulled you towards uh, athletics? You know, as you started getting good, I'm sure, you know, obviously it's a, a strong confidence booster uh, at, at that age in your, in your teens. Uh, what else was, was pulling you towards athletics and, and, and continuing, you know, to, to put resources into that? You know, I think as a kid, like so many kids, you know, and young people, we want to we want to make our mark, you know, and we want to be good at something. And I think every every human has that aspect to their personality. And I had a huge amount of intensity and um, drive, and uh, I I was looking for something, you know. And sport came along at a good time in my life, a a time where, you know, I got really, really into sport, 15, 16 years old, a time where I was really struggling and, um, sport came along and and here was an avenue for me to take all that intensity, all that passion, all that drive. And, um, sometimes all that anger, (laughs) you know, and, and, and put it into something. And then, you know, one of the wonderful things about sport is that, your effort translates into results. And, uh, you know, not everybody can <laughs> be at the point of making a national team that early on in the career, but when you work hard at something, you're going to see some effect. And uh, that, was, that was a huge encouraging message to me. You had a, a pretty long career uh, in the Olympics. I mean, they participated in, th- in three uh Olympics, uh, you met four, actually, four, yeah, four, four, four yeah. okay, so four <laughs> Olympics, uh, and uh, obviously a great deal of effort is required in, in being an Olympian. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's a lot of effort. It's it's a lot of um, uh, I don't want to use the word sacrifice because because people use that word, you know, and I don't think when you're in it, it is it is a sacrifice. I think it's it, it feels like a privilege and it's like, exciting. Um, but I mean, just to kind of spell it out to, to those that haven't, um, you know, competed at this level, I mean, really when you're competing for the Olympic Games, it is your whole life. And, uh, I was at the boathouse by seven every morning, um, rode, you know, on the water by seven thirty, um, off the water at nine thirty, then on the water again at 11 and till 1230. And then again at two thirty till four thirty, And then often we would stretch and lift weights. And so it's like the whole day, six days a week. And as you get closer and closer to the Olympic games in a cycle, you know, your world gets smaller and smaller. I was very lucky. I, I wrote a time where I got my degree um, at university um, while competing. It's, it's harder nowadays because uh, there is a higher volume um, that's required um, now at the national team level. And there's something that's interesting uh, that, I, that I heard you say um, that you weren't 
reading uh, like newspapers or anything leading up to the to the game, so you had no idea. Um, I think it was maybe the Barcelona games. Uh, you had no idea uh, how how many people were rallying behind you back home. Well, you know the, the backstory to that is that you know I, in 1991 I realized kind of my ultimate goal really was to, was, was to become the world champion, right? And um, I became the fastest single scholar in the world. And the next year was the Olympics. And, and I really sort of banked on the idea that I was going to win an Olympic gold medal. I, I had dreamed about it um, since, since I was 11 years old. And, and then 10 weeks before the Olympic Games, the year of Barcelona in 1992, I was hit by a men's pair in a warm-up area race, uh, a warm-up area before a race in Essen, Germany. And their boat entered the side of my boat, and my boat was wooden, and it shattered and drove 200 pieces of wood into my lower right leg. It shattered my ankle, shredded the muscle, did tendon and ligament damage. And in those days after my accident, the prognosis was pretty grim. Um, The physician's told me I likely would be able to row again recreationally, but I don't think anybody thought that 10 weeks later I would go and compete at the Olympic Games. So while I had in my head that this was something I could still do, the Canadian media and in fact the worldwide media at that point was really following my story because it was so implausible that this kind of injury could occur, and then 10 weeks later, you know, I could be competing at the Olympic Games. The title of your book that you, that you wrote is called Un- Unsinkable. Would, would you consider this the moment where you were like, no, like, I am absolutely unsinkable? I think that I have always um, possessed a pretty steely determination. Um, and in my early years and certainly in my athletic career that was very much like a steel rod inside my soul (laughs) you know it was just this this inflexible hard tough um aspect of who I was back then and so like the idea of just like letting it go and focusing on healing and you know training for the next Olympics potentially just it almost didn't cross my mind mm-hmm. and when I came to writing my book and, and we could talk about that you know there's so many aspects to um, the title unsinkable I mean obviously I'm in a boat <laughs> I got hit by a boat I could have sunk um, but I guess it's also this like broader idea for me that as human beings we can be unsinkable that life and its and its currents and its waves and its um, challenges and obstacles. I mean, those things happen to all of us. I mean, I, I don't know anybody who's my age who hasn't been through some stuff in their lifetime and, and sometimes some horrendous, horrendous challenge. And, and I guess I just believe like at the end of the day that we can be unsinkable and that the, the currents and, and, and the, um, the storms of life are inevitable. I like, I like that. Um, now, Silken, so you've been you've been pretty open about um, therapy and and uh, your uh, mental health as well. Uh, how much of that, you know, uh, and you dive into that in, in your book. Um, in terms of 
making one unsinkable, how much of that do you attribute to, to, you know, therapy and, and having someone to talk to and, and going to them and, 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 you know, having someone to lean on? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think, I think my journey, uh, like so, so many people's, you know, what happens when you're young has a huge effect on how you grow up, right? And at some point, hopefully in all of our lives, we come to that point of you go, hey, I better look at some of this stuff because it's actually affecting me and who I am today and the choices I made. I grew up in a house in Mississauga with lots of love and energy and creativity and as I've already mentioned, athleticism. But my mom was not well. And, um, you know, in those days, I mean, we're talking the 60s, uh, people didn't talk about mental health. I mean, it was just like, you know, your mom's odd. Um, I would come home and, you know, there were days where she was just in the, the, the throes of creativity and, and, and so happy and, and, you know, um, vibrant and this intelligent, creative human being. And, and other days where, you know, she was despairing and, um, in tears and angry. And, and it was just always this roller coaster, um, to the point of, I had to develop this kind of hypervigilance, you know, when I came home every day um, and never really knew what to expect. And this isn't just my story. I mean, many people have similar stories, but what is important about it is at some point in my life, I needed to come to terms with who I was, how I'd become that person and where I wanted to go. And, you know, for me, it came at a place when I was raising my two young children, there is nothing more demanding in life than raising children. And uh, children demand this kind of honesty and, and bring you to places that no, I don't think any other sort of stressors or (laughs) stimulus in life really, really does. And, and, um, in my case, it forced me to look at myself and, um, I, I didn't really like what I saw. Um, I saw a lot of unresolved issues, a lot of anger that I'd been stuffing down and stuffing down. And honestly, at that point, I didn't know the source of the anger. Um, and, and that was really when I made that decision um, to go into therapy and to, to, to sort of wrestle these, these demons down and to try to understand why the heck I was so angry and high strung and, and um, jumpy and all of these things. And, uh, and, and I've been really open about it. Um, I don't think we should be ashamed. I think we should be proud of ourselves for doing our personal work and that healthy people go to therapy. Um, people who want to discover more about who they are and function more optimally in life. Um, you know, and like, the, the, the shroud of secrecy and shame and not talking about it and like being, you know, pretending doesn't work. And it didn't, didn't work for me or my family, um, growing up, um, you know, and I don't think it works for this next generation of young people to pretend it's not happening, to not talk about it. Um, there, there's two hurts that happen. Um, there's the experience of the stuff that actually happens is when we're a kid and, and how that, how that actually hurts and how that kind of abuse is, 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 is painful. 
But then there's the second layer of hurt, and that hurt is in some ways more damaging, and that's the the denial that it happened and the pretending, because then you can't even trust your own memory. So, Silicon, let, let me ask you, um, you know, one of the qualities that make uh, a great athlete a great athlete uh, is is that toughness, right? Is 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 fighting through anything you hear of, uh, you know, players, you know, playing football with a, a you know broken hand or a, a an injury. You know, you yourself, you fought through your injury to win a silver medal. Um, so that that fight to fighting through pain is something that uh, is so trained into an athlete. Uh, and, and so how, how do you, um, or maybe like what advice would you give or, or how did you fight through that, um, instinct, uh, to, you know, seek out help and, and how did you build the courage to, to do that? Well, you know, I, th- I think one of the things that we, what I, what I've learned through kind of my journey and a lot of things that I've gone through is that like in, in a way, although I wouldn't want another child to go through some of the things that I went through as a kid they also kind of made me strong, right? And it made me super independent and driven and like a lot of really positive things. So I really have taken my experiences and um, acknowledged the pain of the experience, um, the, you know, dysfunction of the experience, being able to heal it and to let it go, but also to understand that these experiences have also kind of made me who I am today. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that person and I am grateful for some of the qualities that I have that have allowed me to have the experiences and accomplishments that I have today. So they kind of go together, right? Like some of, some of the tough stuff that happens to us in our life is also the stuff that we draw on and, and gives us greater empathy and depth and um, vulnerability. And as you said, um, strength and determination. So, you know, where, where does that come from? I mean, I think, is it nature? Is it nurture? It's probably, probably a combination of all of those things. And there is nothing, I don't think, scarier in life than rocking your foundation, right? Like when you do deep personal work, there's comes that point, And some of your listeners will certainly understand this, where the foundation of who you thought you were in the world shifts and it's kind of like the brick wall starts to collapse and and it's terrifying right because the things that you always relied on and how you identified yourself who you identified yourself as you realize wow this is this is wrong this is this is like a false uh, a false image of who I am this is this is this has not been my experiences and and like you haven't yet built that that new story and that, that, um, authenticity yet. So it's, it's, it's like the, 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 the wall is falling, but there's nothing built yet to replace it. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. I think that's a, a great image for what's, uh, what's, what, what's at play there. Yeah. And that's the terrifying part, right? That's what, that's like, for me, the moment of confusion, of fear, of absolute vulnerability. And it's the worst moment, at least it was for me, but then the minute you're through it, it starts to get better. And, and, and did you see that? I mean, I can only imagine, I mean, uh, you know, I myself have played 
sports, but by no means was I an Olympian uh, other than in my head. Uh, but you mentioned that you know when you were training for the Olympics, it was the first thing you thought about when you woke up and the last thing you thought about before you went to bed. When your athletic career comes to an end, like how, how do you like transition into a, a civilian, so to speak? I mean, like <laughs> how do you even cope? Like, and you kind of spoke to it now about how you, you know, kind of have to, to almost make a new foundation, so to speak, or at least challenge the existing foundation. Uh, but can you shed some light on that? Like how you wake up the, the day as a retired athlete? Well, yeah. You know, it's such a good question. How do you move on and, um, you, you know, integrate into civilian life in a way, right? And, and here, um, and, and it's, 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 it's a problem. I mean, many uh, high-level athletes go through periods of deep depression. Um, we're, we're now starting to talk about it. We weren't talking about it in the 80s and the 90s and even the early 2000s. And so um, the, the athletes were suffering very silently with these huge transitions and of course one of the things that happens as an athlete is you know being an athlete becomes an enormous part of your identity right I'm an athlete people see me publicly as an athlete people are always asking about my athletic performances and um, I mean I think for, for myself I was fortunate in that um, early in my career I had some pretty severe injuries um, besides, besides the time I got hit by a boat um, <laughs> I had <laughs> you know, I had a I had a back injury actually in my very early twenties that sidelined me for an entire year and really threatened to to end my rowing career. So I really had to start thinking in really real terms, like okay, like what would I do? Who would I be um, if I wasn't an athlete? And and the problem, of course, is as you get better and better, um, you have to give up things. You give up your schooling and you give up you know internships and you give and and so you know you 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 are putting all your eggs in one basket and then it ends and and maybe it ends on like a super high note you win olympic gold medal you're world champion maybe it ends in a devastating note but it either way it ends and for me um i i actually got pregnant right away and and, and had a baby (laughs) three well nine months later and and shifted into being a mom and then i had another one and 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 i don't think for those first couple years I really took the time to think about what I was and who I was beyond being an athlete and and I think the other thing in in my particular case is that I was pretty well known um and so you know my work really uh entailed talking about my experiences and doing interviews and um giving keynote presentations and writing articles and all all the same things I actually do today although I'm doing it from a very different um, lens now um, and so I, I didn't kind of have to ask some of those bigger questions right away. But for me, it was when my kids started to grow and I identified this intensity and this rage that was not in line with what was really happening in my life. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like something would happen, uh, like little, like, you know, my, one of my kids would have a temper tantrum, which is pretty normal when you've got a two and a four year old. And I would just feel incredibly, it wasn't anger, it was rage. And I was like, what, what the heck is it? So I, I guess I was kind of pushed into quick personal work versus, you know, what a lot of athletes what happens to a lot of athletes, which is that they retire from sport. They then have to figure out what am I going to do next? Uh, they're, they are struggling with 
not having that special thing anymore, you know, not having that thing that makes him special. And of course, with time, what you realize is that it was never the thing that made you special. Like you're the same person and, you know, you develop this deep personal relationship with yourself where you just love yourself because you're human, not because you do great things on a, on a rowing course. I wonder how many retired athletes there are and, and, and how many individuals there are, you would have better line of sight than I would who are struggling with that. And, you know, I don't want to call it wasted talent, but you know, the amount of training they put into strengthen both their mind and their body uh, to perform at, at a professional level. And then once they retire, call it, you know, early mid thirties, you, you now have a life ahead of you, but you're, you might be paralyzed because you haven't redefined yourself and you haven't, you know, looked within to, to really do some personal work. Yeah. Like you said, I, I think that you identify a challenge that's starting to be addressed with uh, some of the programs that COC has, uh, at Canadian Olympic Committee uh, around that transition for the athlete and what that actually looks like. But like in, in a way, what athletes are kind of asked to face all at once, right? In a really quick period of time, you know, usually the Olympics are over at the end of the summer or the, the, the end of the winter, if you're a winter Olympian. And then like right away, boom, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to figure out what you're doing and get a job three months later kind of thing. And it's a lot of the questions that we all should be asking ourselves at like different aspects of our life, which is, you know, things like, you know, what is, what is my purpose? You know, what are, what are my talents, my unique talents and abilities and how am I animating those talents and abilities in my life? You know, how, how am I contributing? How do I want to contribute? Um, you know, what has meaning, um, you know, what family relationships, what personal relationships have meaning. And, you know, the, the big question is like, kind of, who am I? Uh, who am I beyond what other people think I am? Who am I beyond what the Canadian public thinks I am? Uh, and, and like we all, this is not, this is not just what athletes have to do, right? It's, it's what we all do. It's just, I think with athletes, it kind of happens all at once. Yeah, no, and, and to your point, I think this is something that, that students should be doing coming out of school. I mean, or even while they're in school, I think people underestimate the jump from transition, or sorry, the transition from uh, student to young professional to contributing uh, individual in society. I think there's a, a huge, not that a student isn't contributing, but there is a big jump there from, between being a student to being a, a young professional. And I think that you know, you tell me, would this be something that would be valuable, these questions uh, as a student to be asking themselves? Yeah. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we all had like a kind of a transition coach or a counselor while we were going through these transitions? Because going through the transition, as you just mentioned, um, from university and, you know, things are, although they're, they're a lot less regimented than high school, there, you know, there's classes, there's tests, there's performances, you got your job in the summer and then you do the next thing, the thing the next year. And, and, um, and of course, a lot of people are bouncing um, uh, part-time jobs at school and everything's super busy. And then it, then it ends. And, you know, I think having, um, having a guide in that time of life, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice if when you graduated, along with the degree, they gave you, they gave you a, a mentor. And I think this is where, you know, those of us who, um, I mean, we all, we're, I mean, we live, live in Canada and, and Canadians are very humble. And um, I think sometimes uh, that prevents us from understanding all that we have to offer and, 
um, as as individuals, like I, I've been working for 30 years now and, you know, one way or another. And I do realize, like, I have a lot to offer young people. I have a lot to offer, um, you know, uh, other people who are on, on this journey. And I, and I think if everybody realized that, you know, even if they've just been in their profession for five, six, seven years, that they um, have something that they could offer those young grads. Um, and, and maybe there are programs that make that connection and they, um, very powerfully in, in, a, in a way that's um, supporting a lot of young people. And, and is this something that um, I know that uh, the, the unsinkable uh, organization now, uh, you know, not, not the book, um, is this something that, that you guys will be focused on or, or is there uh, an entirely different focus for you guys? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm involved in this exciting new project, which is, um, you know, going after the title of my book, Unsinkable. And then again, it's kind of this idea that we're all unsinkable and no matter <laughs> what happens to us in life that um, we can stay afloat. And sometimes it is just a matter of staying afloat. Um, hopefully, eventually, it's, it's a matter of, you, you know, um, really excelling. But um, I, what we're going to do, um, we're particularly focused on the, the idea of like health and what that means, mental health, physical health, and that connection between the two things. And um, I feel there's this, there's, there's this real need to uh, share people's stories. I mean, I'm so lucky because I get to speak all over Canada and meet all sorts of people, and I hear all these amazing stories of what people have overcome and um, their, their amazing lives and, and whether they're famous or not famous. And so um, we're creating and launching a website called Unsinkable, um, and it'll be a place where uh, famous Canadians and, um, you know, regular folks with neighborhood heroes uh, next door who have amazing stories share their stories of um, overcoming struggle uh, of um, you know their mental health journeys but also their um, journeys maybe of um, overcoming physical injury like I did in 1992 um, you know disease uh, the, the, the theme being the human spirit um, resiliency uh, and and all of the stories and um, eventually uh, we will do a podcast um, have have two things in common. Um, they will be helpful um, to uh, individuals who are struggling and to, to any one of us, um, and they will be hopeful um, because I think those are two things that in my life and how I live my life, uh, I, I'm, I'm not naive, but I am an optimist, and I, I call myself a realistic optimist. Um, I choose to focus on things that will give me power and strength. And that's how I want the content of everything that we're publishing and everything that we're putting out there, where, where I want it to come from. That's wonderful. And is this, is this going to be, you mentioned that it will be a podcast. So uh, will, the, 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 yeah. it, will it be, a, is, it, is it starting as a, a landing page, like a website? Is there, how can people yeah, find yeah. this if they wanted to get involved? Yeah, it, so it's it's going to be, and again, we're just creating it. We're literally working through wireframes right now. Um, it'll be under Unsinkable, um, and, uh, unsinkable.org. And, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be a place uh, where, uh, you know, the stories from the people, for the people kind of thing, right? So you're creating it. Um, there'll be a place where you can submit stories and um, for consideration to be published. And, and the idea, like, that people don't feel alone, and, and, and I think... That was something that was very real um, for me in, in, in the times and the many, many times um, I've struggled through the years. And, you know, in my book, I talk about those late teen years and those, the feeling of 
something being fundamentally flawed in my character. How could I feel this bad? How could I have this much rage? How can I, you know, it's selfish. (laughs) It's selfish to feel this bad. And in my early 40s even, you know, when I would move into a depression, the feeling of shame that came along with that because, like, I have this super great life. How could I feel depressed? Like, that's just so self-indulgent. And I would have all those thoughts. And, you know, what has really helped me is to understand, like, there's a community of people that feel this way. And this is some stuff they've done that have really, that's really helped them. And, and it's not to sort of wallow and say, you know, oh, it's all so hopeless. It's, it's like that these feelings are real. Um, you know, chemistry is a real thing in the human body. And, uh, it, it can bring us to some really scary and low places, but we can also fight our way out. And I think that that community and that talking about it and that openness is very important in recovering and getting help. And, uh, yeah, and just being able to put one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. Thank you so much for, for making the time here and sharing your story with us. Uh, I know that uh, I myself uh, got a lot out of this, uh, so I'm hoping that uh, our audience did as well. I'm sure they did. Uh, and, uh, you know, we cannot thank you enough for making the time here. Uh, you're very, very welcome. It's my pleasure. And that was our episode with Silken Lauman. Thank you to Silken for making this episode happen. This episode was produced by Eugene McCashew, and I'm your host, Evan Sequera. If you like this episode, please subscribe, like it, share it. We really appreciate all the support. For more information on Capitalize for Kids and the work that we do to improve the lives of children in Canada, please feel free to visit our website at www.capitalizeforkids.org. Tune in next time to our conversation with former CBC Dragon and co-founder of Lava Life, Bruce Croxon.